Sports Radio 1043 The Fan. Every Saturday morning, it's Terry Wickstrom Outdoors. Terry takes you inside the outdoors. You know, hunting, fishing, camping. It's Terry Wickstrom Outdoors. Now, here's Terry. ESPN Denver 1600. I am Chad Lachance filling in for Terry Wickstrom today. Terry's away and traveling, I believe, in his home state of Minnesota, off on a fishing trip with his wife, and uh, I believe that him and Karen are having them quite a time. But in the meantime, I've commandeered ESPN Denver for the next two hours, and we've got a really full show uh, for you guys lined up. It's the fall season. There's a lot of mix going on. You got, you've got small game seasons going. We've got archery seasons going. We've also, of course, got a lot of excellent fall fishing, and Colorado's got a mix of all of the above. So there are very few people in the show that uh, or in the state that know more about the hunting and fishing opportunities in the state of Colorado than Nathan Zelensky, and he's joining us here this morning. Good morning, Nate. Good morning, Chad. How are you doing today? Well, pretty good. Now, I'm indoors, and that's not always great, but uh, I'd love to be outside today, but I, I, I'm not sure that you're outside either. What are you up to this morning? You know, I, uh, I kind of accomplished both. Uh, I am at the Off-Grid Expo here at the Arapahoe County Fairground, so a uh, pretty awesome deal. Our good friend, you know him as well, Mr. Tim Beckett, uh, he kind of puts on this show from B&B RV, uh, so it's neat, man. We're here, at the, at the like I said, at the Arapahoe County Fairgrounds, and it is everything off-grid, so it is extreme tents that fit in the back of your trucks and generators and solar panels and campers will go anywhere and hydration systems uh it's a pretty crazy show and i just got here the show is just opening its doors right now uh but with that being said i also capitalized on the early morning hours uh, if you see me here at the show you'll definitely see i'm a, a little tired looking uh i spent majority of the night hiking around uh finding active bulls that i can hunt later on when this uh when the off-grid expo closes today so the show goes till 7. I'm going to take off mid-afternoon, uh, and I'm going to be in the Elkwoods. Uh, I actually just acquired an archery tag just a couple days ago. So even though the season's been going a while, uh, I now have an archery elk tag burning a hole in my pocket. Uh, so I'm going to get out in the woods later on this afternoon, evening. I found a bunch of hot bulls uh, at the very early hours this morning. Uh, so, yeah, accomplishing everything today, Chad. We, uh, I did my scouting. Uh, I'm at the show talking, fishing, and hunting. Uh, and then I'll be actually in the Elkwoods this afternoon. So, uh, yeah, trying to trying to capitalize on, on everything you can here in Colorado in the fall. Well, I think that's great. And, and, you know, that's a motivation for everybody involved. I'm in studio here in South Denver this morning, but uh, but I'll be on the lake this afternoon. So, like yourself, taking advantage of these days as they as they wind down heading into fall. Now, this the, the uh, off-grade expo, how late's that go today? Uh, so it goes till 7 tonight, uh, and then it opens again tomorrow from 10 to, I believe, 4. Uh, so 10 to 7 today. Uh, there's seminars all day. I know I'm talking hunting in the seminar stage today. They have everything from, 
you know, like remote, you know, survival skill type seminars. They have goat yoga going on today. They have me talking hunting, uh, everything out here. So it's a really cool venue today. So, yeah, I encourage everybody to come down and say hi. And like I said, I'll be here until uh, probably 3, 4 o'clock. Uh, we have our boat here. You can come down, stop, talk fishing and hunting. It's a great time if you just want to say, hey, I wanted to get some time uh, with myself. You have questions on fishing and hunting. You want some personal attention, come down to the show. I'm happy to talk to you. And then uh, Dustin Sigler will be here this afternoon manning our booth. Uh, so if you want to talk walleye fishing or pike fishing with Dustin, he'll be here this whole afternoon to, to kind of acquire his brain and, and gain some intel. So Wait, wait, wait did, did you say goat yoga? I didn't even know goats did it, yoga. Goat yoga. I'll tell you what, it, it starts at 10. I would absolutely be involved in that had I not been here on the, the station dedicated to our loyal listeners. But uh, I can see it from where I'm sitting right now. Uh, <laughs> you're going to do yoga while the, uh, while the goats, I guess, climb on you. And I believe there's another one coming up here a little later in the day. So there's multiple opportunities for the goat yoga. Well, I've had dinner at your house before. We'd be lucky if we haven't had goats. So um, yeah, that's, uh, that's good to talk about small game. But let's talk a little bit about elk hunting, big game. Let's reverse it up. You said you just got a tag. Did you get that off the leftover list or something like that? I did. I did. Yep. I uh, had a great opportunity, and uh, I grabbed an awesome tag this week. So excited about that. And, you know, there's so much going on with that. We've been talking about kind of all the, the general archery season. And today kicks off muzzleloader season, so now everybody is in the woods, um, and there's an awesome opportunity. We've been talking about some bears, some, you know, obviously the, the mule deer population and how we've been hunting them, um, but we want to spend a little bit more time on elk right now because, Chad, right now we are kind of very split in the state of what the elk are doing. So obviously our archery hunters have been out for a week or so. Um, our muzzleloaders are just starting today. Uh, so far, we're having one of the best archery seasons that we've probably ever had. I've seen more elk elk uh, harvest so far this year than I've seen in a long time. So that's great to see. And then the muzzleloaders, from what I've seen so far, uh, they are doing fantastic as well. But all the opportunities are varying. So depending on like how I had my scouting results early this morning, again, I was hiking around listening for bugles in, in the pitch black dark. Um, and then obviously I caught into the last couple hours of the early morning. Um, so that was kind of an awesome opportunity there. Um, but there's everything happening. In some portions of the state, we have got an amazing opportunity at a major rut situation where it's a heavy calling situation, um, which honestly is early for us this year. Um, usually we're just starting kind of in that calling phase where the, the bulls are really actually happening in the rut. You know, when bulls bugle, it doesn't mean the rut's happening. It's really the, the cow sequence. Um, you're going into estrus that really kicks off the rut. But we had some cows go into, go into that estrus phase, go into that heat early this year. So the calling has been going very strong, uh, which is kind of unique for us. So some portions of the state, hunters are absolutely having the, some of the best calling action they've had in years. And then other portions of the state, they are tight-lipped. I saw both this morning. Uh, I covered, you know, about 100 miles in my truck, uh, you know, hiking into places all night. And I had animals that I knew were there from previous scouting trips, and they did not make a peep this morning. Then I had other bulls that you could just whistle with your mouth, not a call, and they were responding. So a lot of opportunities. So as we kind of continue with our elk talk, our hunting right now is very much by region, by animal. So when you go in the woods, you 100% have to drop the mentality of how you're going to hunt before you get there. I think so many hunters, you know, as they drove up yesterday going into camp for whether it's archery or muzzleloader, you know, everybody has that mindset of, hey, we're going to have a great calling session tomorrow or, hey, 
we're just going to go sit in a tree stand. You cannot do that. You can't have a pre-mindset of how you're going to hunt. You have to let the animals tell you how you're going to hunt. So when you get in the woods like this morning or this afternoon, if those bulls are ripping and the cows are talking and, you know, there's a very, you know, aggressive exchange between all the animals, it's going to lead to a calling situation. You can do so because that's what so many hunters want to do. But if you go out there and they are not talking, you have to back off and go with your plan B or C, which may be hunting a water hole, maybe just be spotting stock, maybe hunting a trail that they're walking on. Um, But the biggest thing right now is I would say half the state, these bulls are fired up, they're screaming, the cows are talking, and half the units, you are in an amazing situation of hunting however you want. In the other half of the state, if the elk are not naturally talking, you cannot be the one to try to initiate that conversation because it's unnatural. The elk know what's happening, and if they're not talking, it's because it's not going, and you kind of sound like a, a red flag anytime that you're doing a calling sequence. So if they're not talking, you need to adapt to that situation and hunt water, spot and stock, um, extend your scouting and, and things like that. But right now I'd say we're 50-50. I would say that within the next three to five days, um, we're going to be in pretty full swing across the entire state for a rut sequence. But right now we're still not quite there in some portions of the state. Well, you know, to speak to a general big picture of what you just said, and you hit the nail on the head, you can't go out there and tell the animals how you're going to do it. it that, I don't care if you're hunting elk or you're hunting bears like I'm doing right now or you're fishing or anything else. It, the, you have to hunt the conditions that you're presented with and the mood of the animals. You can't make fish bite. You can't make elk talk. I agree with you 100% on that. Uh, that the more open-minded, the, 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 the most successful outdoorsmen I know are the open-minded ones that, that go, about, uh, go about their hunt or their fishing with, it, with extreme open mind, being very observant as to what's going on around them, and then reacting accordingly. And that seems to be the best answer. So let me ask you, Nate, if uh, let's say you're not in one of those units, because I've been talking to some other elk hunters that have not heard any talking yet. Uh, what's, you mentioned water holes and maybe roads. What's some of your strategy for locating elk in the first place, or are you just doing that uh, off of known known water holes and things like that? I mean, I, I would say that if you're not on a, a sequence where you're talking where elk are, are being very vocal, water holes, no matter what, honestly, water hole is probably the best way to hunt elk in the state of Colorado. Now, the only problem is everybody hunts water in a different manner. And and this is coming from my 10 years of guiding elk hunts to just hunting myself. Again, water is the most conducive pattern that they're going to fall in. They will always have to hit it, especially as the rut kicks up. We're having high temperatures. Water is a mainstay. They have to utilize it. Um, and the hotter it gets and the more they rut, the more they're going to utilize it. It might go from a once-a-day type thing to a couple times a day. The biggest thing with water though, is everybody tends to hunt water when they're tired or they hunt water from time to time or, hey, we didn't hear a bugle this morning, so let's sit on it this afternoon. Water is a dedicated technique. So when you decide to hunt water, I encourage hunters, it makes a long day. It makes a boring day. um, It is fatiguing even though you're not doing anything. But I encourage hunters, if you're going to hunt water, sit there from before the sun comes up after the sun goes down it's one of those things that you have to dedicate to even though you might have trail cameras up and they might be hitting it you know at a fairly regular pattern as the rut changes those patterns will change slightly you have to dedicate to water but if the average hunter finds an active water hole where you have tracks you have you know mud up on the weeds and grass around it where they've been you know splashing around and, and you know moving around um if you have that active water hole if you dedicate four or five days straight 
all-day sets. There is not a better way to harvest an elk in Colorado than that. So that's hands down always my advice. Um, so, again, if they're not talking, find a water hole. You know, see where elk have been going. You know, look for where you have aspen groves. That's going to be a sign you have water. Follow creeks, um, but seek out those water holes. And definitely, if you're not on, you know, bugling elk or talking elk, water hole is definitely your best odds. And if not, just your best odds in general. But the biggest advice, you have to dedicate to it. If you, you know, spontaneously hit it here, there, um, it's not going to be successful for you. You really need luck at that point in time. But if you dedicate to it, sit on it all day, it'll be your, your best odds of harvesting an elk in Colorado. Both big bulls, little bulls and cows and cows yeah that's going to say the keep out of water holes everybody has to visit it and um, you know my house overlooks a water resource and every day a couple times a day all the deer will come hit it but they don't hit it at the same time and like you said trying to time it is no different than trying to time a bite or something you you really need to stick to fundamentals and discipline and i'm, I'm hunting black bears right now or this season i've got a, a private land only black bear tag good for the whole month and i've told myself a thousand times in the last six weeks discipline 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 i have to sit yep. from daylight to dark and it goes against everything I know uh, or everything I, I enjoy anyway, just sitting in one spot like that. But the reality is if I want to harvest a black bear in Colorado without baiting or calling, I'm going to need to sit, overlook a food source, and ensure myself that that bear is going to come going to come to me. Uh, we've got about oh, maybe two minutes left. But uh, last-minute advice, I know there's a lot of newer hunters in the last two years in Colorado. Um, if you're going to give one minute of advice to a new muzzleloader or, let's say, just early-season hunter, a muzzleloader archery guy uh last minute advice he's heading out in the fields in, in a minute and a half what, what did you tell him absolutely i mean i think the biggest failures that's what we usually talk about with new hunters uh number one watch your wind you have to be in control of your wind at all times so a lot of that's anticipation knowing what your thermals are going to do when they're going to change but controlling your wind is everything you know once the bulls are talking once it's there it's easier to, to get it done than it is to mess it up. I would encourage hunters spend more time on not screwing things up and not hurting yourself for the future more so than even the hunt that you're on. So number one, control your wind. When the thing is about to happen, when the whole situation comes together, when that bull's coming in, when that cow's coming in, watch your movement. Wind kills everybody, number one. Number one failure is getting winded or getting smelled. You know, these animals can smell you from 500, 1,000 yards away. So control your wind. When it does happen, watch your movement. They're going to pick up on that kind of thing they're looking for another elk standing there but all of a sudden you're you know bobbing your head you know drawing your bow back you know pulling the hammer back on your muzzleloader um movements your second failure right there uh and then the third thing these animals naturally are going to go bed down early. They're up all night long. So, you know, the bulls that I was on this morning, they were bedding down at 6.30, 6.45 a.m. Um, and same type thing in the afternoon. They don't get up until late. So the average hunter, we wait months and months, you know, 11 months for this hunt. Um, so many people are spending too much time in the woods. I'm not saying spend time in the woods, but these, I call it a nature hike. So many people watch the bulls go into the dark timber and instead of just letting them bed, letting them go along with their natural behavior and hunting them when they get back out of their bed, people are traipsing through the bed. They're, they're blowing their wind and they're ruining their opportunity for future hunts. So control your wind, control your movement. And when the bulls and the animals settle down for the day, back up, just glass from afar, go sit on a water hole. Um, but, but the random hikes around are going to hurt you more than help you. So those are probably the three biggest tips to help a new hunter out. Love it, Nate. I love it and agree with all three of those things. I think that's fantastic. Real quick, if a guy wants to get a hold of Nate Zelinski, how's he do it? 
you know, you can go to our website, Tightline Outdoors, uh, you know, just Google Tightline, Nate Zielinski, something will come up. Our, my cell phone number is very public. My email is very public. Uh, yeah, just, just search it out, uh, you know, via Google or Facebook or Instagram. Uh, get a hold of us. Yeah, we'd love to talk to you about fishing and hunting and uh, any way we can help increase the success of the average sportsman. All right. Well, thanks, Nate. Enjoy the off-grid expo and best of luck in your elk hunting. Thank you, sir. We'll talk to you soon. All right, that's Nathan Zielinski, Tightline Outdoors. And with that, we've killed the first segment. We're going to step aside and take a quick break on ESPN Denver 1600. All right, welcome back to Terry Wickstrom Outdoors on ESPN Denver 1600. I'm Chad LaChance, and filling in for Terry Wickstrom. We wish him safe travels while he's away and fishing in Minnesota. I've seen pics. I've seen uh, evidence. They are definitely catching some fish in his home state. So always a pleasure to have you guys on the radio here and happy to be here. And uh, one of the things that, that is very, very important to me in life is the ability to eat some of the fish and game that we harvest. I'm a hunter-gatherer, make no mistake about it. And one of my favorite uh, ways to prepare food is in cast iron, whether it be a skillet or a Dutch oven or anything like that. And regular listeners to this show will know that we uh, we typically will talk to somebody from Colorado Parks and Wildlife during this segment. That's no different this time. We're joined by Darby Shanks, who's the administrative assistant at Jackson Lake State Park. And Darby, you've got a really interesting event that's uh, that's already got my tummy rumbling about your park. Yes, uh, it's our well. This is the eleventh year that I'm I'm putting it on. So yeah, it's the Dutch oven and chili cook-off, and it is slated to be on September 25th. Uh, so we have about eight What's different up, categories. Whoop! Did we Hello? lose? You did we lose you there? No, I'm still here. Okay, go ahead. Sorry, you broke up there. So I have eight different categories. Seven of them are the Dutch oven and cast iron. Uh, dishes they range from your main dish side dish uh the wild game fish um is one because we're in the state park and enjoying our natural resources and then we also have a youth one chili uh and a dessert and bread uh so we have quite a few entries already and i mean i still have a few slots left if anybody's interested they just need to contact me at the park um there is no Entry fee, the only uh, fee that you're going to need to pay is the entry into the park. Um, and then also for anybody that just wants to come out for the day to be a spectator, we have, uh, if you come out early in the morning, there's a cowboy coffee that you can choose on if you like coffee. And then we'll announce those winners at the very end along with our other dishes. And then um, and then at 4.30, when everything is done with our judging, we will... Um, everybody will get to taste all the dishes for free if they would like to. And, yeah, I don't know what else to say. But well, well, well let me ask you this. You, you've given us a pretty thorough rundown on that, but let's say I'm a guy that likes to cook, and I maybe want to learn from some of these competitors. Can I come out and just, just my regular parks pass or my day entry pass, come out and, and walk around and maybe talk to some of the competitors while they're preparing their dishes? Absolutely. Um, usually we'll start off around 8 o'clock. We have a meeting first thing in the morning with everybody that's kind of already entered for the day. Um, we'll have a brief meeting. We do have a few rules um, that we have in place for the event. Uh, it kind of changes every year. So they, if anybody's ever interested, that, you know, just reach out to me, and I'm willing to share my, the rules that we have for that year. And for the spectators, yeah, it's going to be located in our lakeside campground, more on the northern end. 
and I'll probably be around the Site 57 area. But yeah, you can absolutely walk around and talk to um, the other folks. Um, they enjoy getting to talk to other people and telling them what they're doing. It's kind of fun. It's kind of like at home. Um, if you think about it, when you're baking in the oven, it's similar. It's just, but you're doing it with charcoal and with a full cast iron. You have a Dutch oven or cast iron um, cooking utensil. Well, and you're doing it outside, so that automatically makes it better uh, right off the bat. And, and and I'm a big believer in in that. And uh, and also the you know the various dishes you mentioned, all the different categories. I got to judge one of these a couple of years back in in Utah, and uh, I was one of the the guys that got invited to judge the whole event. And I was surprised at the diversity of some of the dishes that come out. I think of a Dutch oven, I automatically think of stew or chili. Uh, but some of the complexities, some of the dishes that came out of some of those uh, contestants there in Utah was was pretty amazing. I would imagine you see that out there as well. Yes. Um, I mean, for your, your main dish, you can, we've had from bison, we've had, uh, of course, your beef, anything, chicken, pork. So it's, it's all, it's all relevant, right? And then I always like the wild game fish one. That's a category that I threw in several years ago. Um, and basically that game has to be hunted or fishing in Colorado, to be cooked in there. And so we've had great dishes. Like if you've never been able to try a mountain lion, we had that a couple of years ago. Um, we've had elk, deer, we've had pheasants. We've had, uh, I think it was a, I know it was a tofu. Uh, I don't remember the full name, but it had fish in it, hmm. but it was like a soup. Huh. And then we've also had fried fish of wiper and walleye. So it's very interesting in what people come up with. Well, I'm currently hunting bears in the state of Colorado this month, and I'm looking forward to, to uh, putting some black bear roast in a, in a Dutch oven with uh, with maybe a dark berry reduction of some sort. Looking forward to that. But sounds like a really neat event. But since you mentioned wipers and walleyes, and you are calling from Jackson Lake State Park, uh, we would be remiss if we didn't uh, get some information about the conditions there in the park, what's going on there. I'm, I'm, I drove by the other day, and I know the water's coming down some, but you are still open for boats, correct? Well, this will be the last weekend um, that we're going to be open to motorized boating. Um, I guess the announcement went out yesterday. So Sunday evening will be the last time you can put a motorized vessel out there um, for the park manager. So um, otherwise, it will be just hand launch only, non-exempt vessels. So we are low, and they have been draining. So, I mean, there's still plenty of water surface, but it's a very shallow lake, of course. Sure. And the fishing has been, I would say, fair to poor, depending. I've only heard wipers being caught. I haven't heard much walleye action. Um, I, but I've also heard some channel catfish and freshwater drum um, being caught as well. So there's plenty of species out there if you can just get them to bite. Well, and the thing is, when the lake is low like that, it gets uh, it, everybody gets crammed into one small space. So if you get around the fish, you can definitely catch them. I have also heard reports of uh, significant catfish being caught out there right now, uh, which is a really good opportunity and something that's a little bit underutilized. Everybody's out there hunting walleyes and wipers a lot of the time, but those catfish represent a, a very um, worthwhile thing. Now, I believe, now correct me if I'm wrong, but do you have uh, an archery range at your facility as well? We do not. You don't. Okay. Um, we do have we do have the archery equipment and stuff like that, but that's more to do with our interpretive program, where we have to set it up and take it down. So we don't have one open similar to bar by any means. Gotcha, gotcha. Um, and so your, we, your camping will stay going though for the remainder of the season, correct? Yes. Um, 
Yeah, all of our campgrounds are open right now. Three of them will be closing at the end of September um, going into the winter season, but three of them remain open year-round. And do folks need to call ahead? I believe you've got a, a you, last time I was there, you had a removal of Russian olive trees going on and that uh, to, to, to remove, the, which is considered an invasive species. Those are being replaced with uh, native species. Is that still going on at your park? Yes, that's going to be another three, I believe, three more years happening. So it's going to, it's a three-year project. So um, it'll continue to happen. Right now, they're not taking too many trees out right now, but it'll probably ramp up come this fall and winter again. But it's also... Um, in connection with our Jackson Lake Wildlife Area and the Andrick Wildlife Area, too, where they are removing restaurants. So it's a big project. Gotcha. Well, I appreciate you taking the time to get with us real quick again. If folks want to come to your Dutch oven cook-off, give us a quick rundown of where they can get information and when that is. Again, it is September 25th here in two weekends. Um, if you're interested in participating, just reach out to me at the park at 970-645-2551. And just ask to talk to myself, Darby, and I can get you all the information. I can send it to you by email or if you're just wanting the general information. If you're coming out for the day for the event, you'll just have to pay for the entrance into the park. Uh, it will be located in Lakeside Campground on, on the north end. Um, we will have a big flag event um, so it kind of marks the area. And you're more than willing to walk around. And at the end, about 430, you'll get to taste all the food if you're interested. Well, that sounds good to me. Uh, I think folks will be able to follow their nose and find that place without any problems. So, Darby, I appreciate you putting that on. Sounds like a really fun event. And if I'm if I'm done with my bear hunt, uh, you're going to see my smiling face out there because any chance to learn from some uh, high quality uh, Dutch oven outdoor cooks, I'm I'm down to do it. So, thanks very much for putting on and taking the time to call us. All right, thank you. Have a good weekend. You as well. That's Darby Shanks with Jackson Lake State Park. And with that, we're going to step aside and take a quick break. You're listening to Terry Wickstrom Outdoors on ESPN Denver 1600. All right, welcome back to Terry Wickstrom Outdoors on ESPN Denver 1600. I am not Terry Wickstrom, though. That was deceiving. I'm Chad Lachance. I'm filling in for Mr. Wickstrom. He's away and traveling. And I always appreciate the opportunity to do that. Uh, I believe I was the first guest host that ever did this show like 12 or 14 years ago. And uh, it's always a pleasure to get to step in when Terry's traveling. He is, uh, don't worry, guys, Terry's not working too hard. He's away and fishing and having a good time in Minnesota uh, with friends and family back there and having a great time. But uh, with that, we're going to go back to the phones because it's another Colorado Parks and Wildlife segment. And this time we're joined by a land protection specialist, a real estate person for Colorado Parks and Wildlife, Miss Amanda Nims. And Amanda runs a program that, uh, or works with a program that I think is more important for Colorado sportsmen than maybe they even realize and many people haven't even heard of it good morning amanda good morning chad how are you well i'm doing great and i appreciate you taking time out of your day to call Um, i believe a lot of folks probably aren't familiar with colorado wildlife habitat program Mm -hmm. Um, can you give us a quick rundown of what that is before we get to the nuts and bolts of it you bet thank you it's an annual funding program available to landowners, private landowners, or municipal county open space programs um, that provides the landowner opportunities to protect their wildlife habitat and or uh, permit the public onto their land for public access, hunting, fishing, wildlife viewing, that kind of thing. So it could be either enhancing their own property so that it has a higher carrying capacity for native wildlife, or it could be maybe negotiating an easement across somebody's property. Uh, is there any case where Colorado Parks and Wildlife will actually 
buy fee simple, actually buy property from landowners? That's a great question. So the program funds three types of real estate transactions, conservation easements, which basically restricts the development of a property uh, in favor of what's important about it, like the wildlife habitat program, public access easements, which is an agreement between the landowner and CPW uh, to provide public access. And then, like you mentioned, uh, fee simple acquisition, which is when CPW will purchase the property outright from the landowner. And all of those have different uses, but they're all valuable to Colorado wildlife. And I'm of the opinion that any habitat conservation is better than none. And any habitat conservation, later in the show, I'm going to be talking to folks from Pheasants Forever. And mm-hmm. they, the whole point is, hey, we conserve habitat for pheasants, but it's good for all the other animals as well. And wouldn't you agree with that With when it comes to any of these land-based uh, easements or conservation easements? Yeah. Yeah, I I couldn't agree more. And the program uh, was created in 2006 with the establishment of our habitat stamp legislation. And the last 15 years, uh, the program has protected almost 300,000 acres of wildlife habitat and provided public access on another 125,000 acres. So it's a robust and, and pretty successful program thanks to our sportsmen and women in the Habitat Stamp Dollars, as well as our other funding uh, partners uh, who put money into the program, and that includes uh, Great Outdoors Colorado, GOCO, and our wildlife cash, so uh, some of the revenue generated from hunting and fishing licenses, and rarely, but sometimes, and not in a long time, our federal funding partners. But really, it's a Habitat Stamp program. Gotcha. And GOCO, for folks that aren't familiar, that's the lottery. If you play the lottery, that's Great Outdoors Colorado money that goes back on the ground in in a bunch of different uh, situations as well, both at the CPW level as well as municipalities and things like that. Now, um, let's say Colorado Parks and Wildlife does purchase this property. I know there's a lot, something like 350 Colorado State Wildlife Areas. If they purchase a, a piece of property from a landowner, is that commonly what will happen with it? Most often it will be turned into a state wildlife area. That's correct. Um, the program also is what originated our most recent acquisition for the Fisher's Peak State Park, although that's a separate program if people are interested in selling their property to become a new state park. Uh, but this program really is about new state wildlife areas and state habitat areas, which is when the habitat is protected, but it doesn't mean public access is available. So landowners don't absolutely, or they're not required to provide public access. Okay. If they just want to protect the wildlife habitat. Well, right. And as we discussed, that almost provides a safe haven for wildlife when you do that exactly. uh, at that time, which yeah. is also important. Uh, now, you've got a big application coming up because there's a lot of landowners. Colorado's 32% roughly uh, privately mm-hmm. owned, uh, seventy almost 70% public. Uh, if I'm a landowner and I've got a nice piece of riparian habitat or I own a mountain mm-hmm. ranch or I have a farm out east and I want to get mm-hmm. involved with this, there's, there's a possibility coming up here pretty quick that uh, is going to help people get their land enrolled. Why don't you give us a rundown on that? You bet. So the Colorado Parks and Wildlife Commission just last week at their September meeting in Meeker um, restarted the program officially. So we've got an RFP coming out next week. It'll be available on CPW's website starting Thursday morning, uh, September 16th. Applicants have about six weeks to pull together an application that uh, will be due on Thursday, October 28th. Uh, so at the end of October, and it's a, it's a bit of a while to get the it, all the uh, proposals processed, but they'll hear about where their proposal stands uh, with an update in March, and then final decisions are made in May with negotiations beginning in June of next year. 
so the RFP is, is is request for proposals. You're asking landowners to use a basically, and, and, and if folks go to the Colorado Parks and Wildlife website and you can Google the Colorado Wildlife Habitat Program, it'll pop yes. right up. Yep. Um, their sample language that they need to put in their proposal. Is there someone they can talk to ahead of time to see if their property is in the ballpark? Yes, I highly recommend that they reach out to their local CPW staff, their area wildlife manager, if they have relationships with their district wildlife managers or their local biologists. That will really help them um, as well as contacting me. It's a it's kind of a cumbersome proposal, and so I can help with um, the details of the budget form and things like that. So reaching out to local CPW staff is a great first start. And I know from personal experience that the particularly district wildlife managers are in close contact with a lot of the large landowners in, yeah. their, in their specific areas. And they're usually one of the first resources I go to uh, yes. for a lot of things. People call them game wardens, but in my opinion, they're uh-huh. information officers more than anything else. And, and yeah, they're, they're there to force the rules, too. But, but they're very much a wealth of knowledge of various landowners, and I've used them for resource forever. Now, let's say that I, that I, do, I do I have to have a 50,000-acre ranch to get involved with this, or can I, can I have a, a small ranchette, a 40-acre rural property? What do I, what do mm-hmm. I, what, what's my, you know, where's my baseline to start? That's a good question. And, bef- and before I answer that, I just want to also, before I forget, mention that it's an $11 million budget this year. So um, that's, sounds like a lot of money. It's not when we look at all of Colorado and the real estate market that is today, but um, it helps a lot. And any landowner can apply, whether their property is small, whether their property is large. One of the funding priorities is for landscape scale properties, but we have protected properties as small as a couple hundred acres. We have purchased a property that was three acres to help um, public access uh, on a state wildlife area. So really, it really depends about the resource and what's being offered rather than the size and basically what the impact to conservation it will provide. Gotcha. And that access you mentioned is critical. And yeah. uh, people don't, I don't think, realize how much it is. But in this day and age, when everybody's carrying around a digital map and they know who owns what and mm-hmm. everything else, everyone's looking for access. Those access easements are so important because we have large tracts of public property that you can't easily get to or state wildlife yep. areas that you got to walk three miles across to get to the other side of as opposed to a guy that, that puts a, an acre of property in and lets you cross it. So uh, let's say I am a landowner and I do put my ranch in there. Do I have to allow unfettered access for the whole year or can I say, okay, only during established big game seasons or maybe I, That's you know, an anything like that? Is, is that an option for me? So the public access component is negotiable. It certainly does not require unfettered access. It's not a parks program. So it really depends on what the landowner is comfortable with, what CPW is willing to manage and work with the landowner on. It could be, um, you know, just for vets. It could be perpetual unlimited access. Uh, Generally, um, there is a better um, payment for um, unrestricted access. Um, So it really depends on what the species are, what uh, what seasons they're interested in sharing and what CPW is, is willing to work with them on. So it, it all depends. It's all negotiable. Well, I love the sound of that because no two pieces of property are the same. The benefits of those two pieces yes. of property to the public are not the same. I've sat on various other uh, boards here in the state of Colorado for, for both the county level and state level, and people don't realize how important a half an acre could be in a certain situation yep. or, yep. or you know, 50,000 acres in another situation <laughs> for migration corridors. Now, are migration mm-hmm. corridors, relatively quickly, are mi- migration corridors part of this situation too? Yeah, that's a great that's a great question. So the habitat stamp legislation dictates what the funding priorities are, and they include uh, acquiring public access, but also big game winter range and migration corridors. And this year, we also see funding priorities for, like you mentioned, riparian areas. 
wetlands and um, parcels that provide connectivity to other conserved parcels because it's all about um, that habitat connectivity. Well, I can tell you that as, a, as an outdoorsman in Colorado, um, it's th- this program is more important than people realize. And it might not get all the headlines and all that uh, that some other things get, but it's a very important program. We're very lucky to have it. We appreciate your efforts on that. Uh, and I would also like to throw out there as an outdoorsman that the vast majority of this funding comes from other outdoorsmen. Yeah, there's some GOCO money, but the majority of it's from license sales and habitat stamps. Uh, anybody can purchase a habitat stamp if they would like as well, whether they hunt or fish, uh, is an important thing to keep in mind as well. But that's basically sportsmen um, paying our way once again, and we're the original conservationists, and I think it shows with programs like this. Yes, thank you so much for the opportunity to talk about it. And hopefully folks will go to Colorado Parks and Wildlife's website. Like I said, you can Google Colorado Wildlife Habitat Program, look it up more. And if you're a landowner, consider it. September 16th is your ability to apply. October 28th is the deadline. And I'm quite certain Mrs. Nims will help you out, correct? You betcha. Anytime. I would love to. All right. There you go, guys. And and that's Amanda Nims. We appreciate her taking the time to call in from Colorado Parks and Wildlife. More importantly, all of her efforts to uh, to protect uh, access for Colorado sportsmen. And with that, we're going to take a quick break. You're listening to Terry Wickstrom Outdoors on ESPN Denver 1600. All right, welcome back to Terry Wickstrom Outdoors on ESPN Denver 1600. I'm Chad Lachance. I'm filling in for Terry while he is traveling. We miss his smiling face, but always happy to have the microphone. And uh, a guy that I'm really looking forward to talking with is now uh, ready to join us here. That's Mr. Dan Shannon of Fishing with Bernie. Dan uh, guides for lake trout and kokanees and a few others, also some nice brown trout. Uh, Calling us from up in Granby, Colorado. Good morning, Dan. Good morning, Chad. Well, I appreciate you taking time out of your day. I imagine you've got a pretty day going on up there. What's the conditions like in Granby today? Well, today we're looking to be up in the 70s. Right now it's blue skies, calm, and it's a perfect, uh, good start to fall kind of day. Well, it sounds like we ought to be bobbing around out on Granby right now, so we'd be remiss if we didn't talk. Uh, first of all, you guide for lake trout, and you guide for, for uh, also big browns, I believe, and I know also for kokanee salmon. We talked a little bit about that. Um, how is the fall progressing? Just as a general rule on your lakes up there, how is the fall progressing? Fall's progressing nice. This year, we uh, the water warmed up early, so we kind of hit that, that kind of late summer slowdown a little bit earlier, and it stayed a little longer than normal. I mean, the fishing stayed decent, but, uh, you know, those warmer temps with these cold-water species kind of work, works in that opposite way. So our, our bites slowed down a touch, but now with the water temperature going the other way, the bites really picking up. It's getting hard to determine what to do with our time. Do we spend the time in the field? Or do we spend our time on the water with the bite picking up like this? Well, that's a good problem to have. And I struggle with that same problem because I've got a black bear tag in my pocket that's good for the whole month. But I also know there's some good bites going on. Uh, one of the things I'm looking forward to for my for my bear hunting, and I suspect you are as well, is some hard cold snap, a, you know, a good, good hard chill to, uh, in my case, knock some of the foliage down and knock some of the berries down. But in your case, cool the water temperature back down. Are you getting nights down around freezing at this point? Yeah, we had frost a couple nights ago, um, saw frost on the windshields. We're getting down into the upper 30s right now at night. Um, this kind of depends on the night, but it's in, with the sun going down sooner, those cooler temps are coming earlier, so the water temps are really dropping. We're seeing an almost daily drop of that surface temp, which and- this time of the year really moves the lake trout towards the spawn. Well, and that's what I was going to say. They're char and they're fall spawners. And I don't know, is there a magic number for that or a magic time of year when you when you find them peaking out shallow? Um, we're looking for the mid fifties to kind of, where they really start peaking on that spawn as far as that surface temp. Um, 
but a lot of it just has to do with time of the year. You know, they have to spawn. They have to hit their, their times when they, when it's time to reproduce. And if they, it, it's kind of just, they're, they're very migratory and it happens at the same time every year. So we can kind of look towards that picking up right here at the end of September and uh, going all the way through October. So for folks that aren't familiar real quick, uh, what all lakes do you actually work? What, what lakes do you guide? So on? we guide, so fishing with Bernie, we guide on Grand Lake, uh, Williams Fork and Lake Granby. Um, Right now we're kind of we're 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 the Williams Fork's winding down right now just because the water has gotten low enough that the 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 ramp is actually going to close this year, so it's going to close to trailered boats, which kind of limits our ability to chase the Lakers on the uh, during the spawn out there. But we still have Grand and Grandy, and we're really looking forward to a great great fall. Well, and I will throw out there for guys that uh, that trailer or that uh, don't trailer, I should say, that hand launch, uh, Williams Fork may still provide an opportunity there, but not in the boat with the electronics, which is a, which is a great big help. Now, um, Granby is a place that I've had a love-hate relationship with for years because when I went there with your former cohort, I always caught fish. When I went there by myself, I didn't, which goes to speak to having a local guide uh, that knows what's up because there's a tremendous amount of structure in that lake. Uh, having an idea of where to start on all that structure is a whole nother story. And you've been guiding up there for a long time at this point, correct? Correct. Uh, I've been guiding up here for six years now, but fishing it, I'm a, I'm a native to Colorado. So I've been fishing it basically my entire life. So you put all that together and, and you know, you start to see some patterns after that amount of time and you get to go out and reproduce what you've been successful with. And do you target, I, I know looking at your website, fishingwithbernie.com, people want to get information there, they want to book a trip, they can do that at fishingwithbernie.com. Looking at your website, there's quite a few good-sized browns popping up on the screen, brown trout, and I don't think a lot of people associate Granby with, with the brown trout bite. I caught one there a few years ago that was probably in the 6 or 7-pound range, uh, caught a lot of them in the 21, 22-inch range. How consistent is that bite for you this time of year? Uh, this time of year, it's the same thing with the lake trout starting to pick up. They do move off to spawn. They're fall spawners as well. Um, and we see that after they spawn, they come back out of the rivers. And that fall brown trout bite is is just as exciting sometimes as the as the lake trout. Uh, they like that cold water. They get super aggressive. And, you know, it's it's they're one of those species that just quietly, they, they thrive out here in, in Lake Granby as well as Grand Lake. Grand Lake's another one that's kind of sneaky as far as the, the lake trout and the brown trout population in their ability to catch some big ones. Well, and that's not a lake that I've spent a lot of time on uh, is Grand Lake, but the it, Grand Lake has, from what I've heard, been fishing surprisingly well for, for the last year. I think maybe people wrote it off a little bit after the events of last year, but from what I've heard, it's fished very well. Yeah, it's fish, it fished very well. There were some intermittent times in there when we had the big rains, the big runoff, where it got really cloudy and the, the fishing kind of kind of got tough a little bit. But overall, Grand Lake this year has fished the best that I've seen it in years. Yeah. It's one of those lakes that's only 500 acres. It's very doable with smaller crafts. It's pretty sheltered from the wind. And, you know, uh, a little, little cat out of the bag, some of the biggest lakers I catch throughout the year come out of Grand Lake, not necessarily Granby. So um, <laughs> it's kind of quietly a great fishery. I'm surprised you tell anybody that, uh, given that everybody thinks of Granby and, and Williams Fork for the big ones automatically. But um, another species we haven't talked about, which is probably more important, truthfully, than the Lakers, because without them, the Lakers don't exist, and that's the kokanee salmon. Um, kokanee salmon fishing is something that's somewhat specialized. I'll be dead honest with you. It's not something I've done a tremendous amount of, but I'd like to learn more of. How much of that do you do? 
Uh, we do a fair amount. It come, we get to a little bit more here towards the end of September and October as the, as the kokanee move to spawn. Um, Granby, they do shut down the back of Columbine Bay there where the, where the kokanee move into spawn after, on October 1st. So we kind of limit our ability to chase them um, on Lake Granby, but there's always the other opportunities. There's Shadow Mountain has them in it. And then Williams Fork at one time was a good kokanee fishery, but right now they're they're not not stocking them to get rid of the gill ice. Right. So we drive a little bit farther and get out there to Kremlin and hit up at Wolford Mountain. Uh, we don't guide out there, but you know it's just one of those things that when you you know limit a kokanee because they're great for the smoker, great to can, and, and real good table fare. We sneak out to Wolford and that bite starts picking up here into September and into October as well. And what about eater-sized Lakers? I know there's been a, a push for years and years to uh, get some numbers in Granby, take some of the smaller fish, say sub-18 inches or, you know, maybe sub-20 inches out. Or is that something, let's say I wanted to hire you and, and me and, and my kids want to come out and get a few eater-sized Lakers. Is that something we could likely do at Granby with you right now? Oh, absolutely. As we get to the end of September here, that bite is, is going gonna to be red hot. The numbers of fish out there. And a 40, 50 fish day with two to three anglers in the boat is not, not out of the norm for us that time of the year as the lake trout spawn. They get in big groups. You're able to uh, kind of get, you get to where they're not necessarily biting because they're eating. They're biting because cause you, you've annoyed them enough and they get aggressive and they want to chase you after what they're primarily trying to do on that spot is spawn. So we get a lot of uh, reaction kind of baits in there. And, uh, man, the bite can be really good. Big numbers, happens quick. They're a little bit cooler temps, but we also don't see the, the pressure on the lake. And, you know, this fall this fall bite is absolutely one of my favorite, favorite times of the year. Well, it's funny you say that because is I, you know, lake trout, for me, were, uh, were kind of an Achilles heel for a long time. And I finally conquered some big lake trout. But what I, what I figured out was spending a bunch of time hook setting small lakers this time of year made it a lot easier for me to detect and feel what was going on with some of the Lakers uh, with with the bigger ones. So I think it's a good learning opportunity for, for people as well. And you might have a kid that isn't necessarily interested in fishing for, you know, six hours for one or two bites. You put them on a school of smaller ones and you can get a bunch of them uh, in a hurry and get some bites. So that's good. Uh, if a guy does want to book with you, you still have trips this year? Uh, we still have some trips this year. I'm booking into October right now, but we have a team of four other guides that uh, we do kind of have some some availability coming up. And this is definitely one of the times of the year that if you're looking for just great opportunity and great lots of chances and uh, some some fish for the table, it's a great time of the year to to come out and. Uh, to spend a time with a guide who's, who's been out here and knows how to, to hit this fall bite. Well, I know you got the good boats and the good electronics and all that as well. So it's not just the knowledge, it's also the tools. That's uh, important stuff. So, Dan, I appreciate you taking the time to call in. Fishingwithbernie.com, if a guy wants to book with you, uh, that's probably the easiest place to get a hold of your cell phone and everything's up there as well. Uh, and I hope to get up and do some fishing with you later this year. So keep me in mind, and uh, we'll see if we can get out and spend some time in the boat. Sounds good, Chad. Good luck with the bear. All right. Thanks very much, Dan. Good luck on your elk hunt. And uh, with that, we're going to step aside and take a quick break. You're listening to Terry Wickstrom Outdoors on ESPN Denver 1600.